Daniel. Trayvon. What was your favorite uh, gaming console as a kid that you owned? Or maybe one that you didn't own, but you wanted to own? I got a PS2 way, way late. So my, like, growing up console was an old Sega Genesis that we had. Mm Mm-hmm. So, man, oh, man, I love Sega Genesis. Street Fighter 2, all the Mortal Kombat's. Oh, blood on. Oh, baby. What, what, what was the Xbox out? Was it Xbox 360? Was that, was that, was that the, like the competitor at the time of PlayStation 2? Yeah, I think so. Because I, I went from, like, I had a Nintendo growing up. I had a Sega. I eventually had a PlayStation. So I, I had, excuse me, I had, like, a Dreamcast at, at one point. And then... Yeah, right? And then, I got a Gamecast. Man, there's GameCube and Dreamcast. I said I got a Gamecast. Now this is what I wanted. Required watching. But then I eventually, like, as I got into like adult age or like, you know, teenage age, where I had to like choose sides because it all just went down to like PlayStation or Xbox. Mm-hmm. I had the first PlayStation. I want to say I had maybe the second one, but maybe I didn't because I didn't have the original Xbox, but I did get Xbox 360. Mm. So that's when I that's when I transferred over, and I was like any like dumb boy. I was very obsessed with video games, mainly because we couldn't afford it. So it was like a thing of like scarcity of like yeah. everyone else has one, and now I want one too. And like straight up, could not afford a game in my life. So like oh. I've had all these systems at like random times in my life. I'll be um, honest. I've always wanted to be a gamer. I've always had gamer friends. Yeah, and I would try so hard. I wasted so much money at GameStop. But I don't have it in me. Um, I don't have whatever it is yeah, that yeah. makes someone a gamer. Because after like 20 minutes of playing, I'm like, yeah, I'm good. Yeah, I'm done. That's yeah. why I love I love my favorite games all time. Only good games I'm good at. Tony Hawk. Oh, yeah. Grand Theft Auto and any racing games. Because you can yeah. play those for like 20 minutes and then be, just be like, all right, I'm done. Or Street Fighter. Yeah. I I would love to do a stint producing games. Or like writing games or being a part of that world. And that world is such a hard world to get into. I'm watching Mythic Quest, by the way, if anyone is uh-huh. interested. Mythic Quest is fantastic. But I'm one of those people who, I'm the kind of gamer, if this is a classification, who I like I like the stories. I don't, I don't need the interaction with other people. I just want to be able to play on my own and do what I got to do. And like, whatever the story mode is, I'm all about it. And then when it comes to multiplayer, I do like things like Call of Duty, where... There is like a collaborative nature of it all. And then we're able to like rank up and blah, blah, and blah, blah. Like GTA Online sucks because it's just people being reckless. And like, that's, I don't find that fun. Yeah. That's not fun Never for played me. it online. Like Red Dead is, I think Red Dead is great. Like their story mode is just insane. And I think their online is a lot better than GTA, but obviously not as built out as GTA. Anyways, I, my point is, I, I do love a story much more than I like anything else. My favorite, not that you asked, my favorite game developer at the moment is like uh, Annapurna. Annapurna Pictures, but Annapurna Interactive, their games department, which I think they're considered like a little indie game developer at this point, Mm. puts out some really interesting story-based games. Like what? What Uh, did they put out? I I wasn't expecting you to say that. Sorry, sorry, sorry. (laughs) We'll we'll cut that. We'll edit that out. (laughs) Hold on, I can find it. Like there's an iOS game called damn, what's the one called? Florence, I think her name is. I think that's near the and it's like two bucks and it just gives you like this essentially this game about like this woman kind of exploring what life is like after or like go, like getting together with somebody and like 
moving in with somebody, breaking up with somebody, et cetera, et cetera. So it's comedy. They have so many games. I, I've been I've on a big games. Tetris kick on my phone lately. Nice. No, I'm serious. Nice. Again, nice, I love I love quick quick games. Yeah, in and out. Yeah, words. Let's shall we jump into it? Let's jump into it. This is required watching, where we watch the essential films from lists of cinematic influencers. And what do we do? We learn about them. We we, we talk about them or learn about them. T- talk about them. The lens of filmmaking. Sometimes. Listen, it's all about the lens of filmmaking and how to move forward. I am Trey Epps. I am Danny Taberner. And today, it's listen. The reason why I picked this film is because it's been ten years since its release depending on where you are. And we're talking about the 2010, but it doesn't add up, right? 2010 film, Scott Pilgrim versus the world. This is written and directed by Edgar Wright, co-writer, Michael Bagal, starring, and this is a fucking long list, Michael Sarah, Mary Elizabeth Warren said, uh, Kieran Culkin, Chris Evans, Anna Kendrick, Alison Pill, Brandon Roth, Jason Schwartzman, and the me- Brie Larson? Did I not say Brie Larson? There's so many people Larson, in this movie. Audrey Plaza. Oh, yeah, Audrey Plaza. Aubrey Plaza. Aubrey. Uh, John Simmons is in this. I can't. I can't get Johnny Simmons out of my head because he was the he was the Miles Teller in the Whiplash short film. Is that right? I think that's right. That feels right to me. And he's always played like this this kind of character. So I feel like I feel like he's on the edge of something. I, I don't know. Ellen Wong who is Knives Chu. So many people. And yeah, so I chose this film for a few reasons. I wanted to I wanted to revisit this film as it's been 10 years and you know the cast got together to watch the film, I believe, you can, or talk about the film, maybe like some sort of like a re, you know, uh, reunion of sorts as you know pandemic times got on. So I'm sure somewhere on the internet, I believe there's Entertainment Weekly who who did that. It's just been such a long time. I, I, as I always say, when I like a film, I end up not. I end up not going back to it because I always want to preserve how good it was. And this is kind of one of them. I've seen it. I've seen this film maybe two or three times since it was released. And my oh my, am I so happy to have been able to come back to it? It felt like it felt. It kind of felt like exactly what I needed to watch. Yeah, I haven't seen it in a while, and I forgot how many funny one-liners there are. Oh. Bread makes you fat. <laughs> So good. Hey, Scott, look out. It's that one guy of Kiernan Culkin. Kiernan Culkin does not get enough credit. I'm happy he's on Succession now, but I feel like he's always been good and no one gave him, like, maybe maybe gave him a chance. It's probably a bit too strong, but, like, I don't know. I feel like he's needed more. He's in the shadow. He's in the shadow. And here's uh, Macaulay just knocking up Brenda's song and and living life. He's good to go. Crazy. Richie Rich. But we should speaking of our of our reboot that's coming up, we should do a month of just like child stars. So like Home Alone, like some Yo, like Mary. I'd watch Mary. Yo, my girl. Damn, that's hella sad. That's all right. Anyways, uh, that brought up some real emotion for me just now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> damn. So one one of the first things I want to talk to you about this film is I don't think like, having come back to it now, and of course, every I think everyone in this cast is is what was someone they all had their very own separate careers up until this Mm -hmm. point and now more than ever of course having their careers kind of progress and being more cemented in pop culture 
it felt it feels such like a like a perfect casting through and through that I feel like you just don't see on like these large casts like films like Knives Out for example like everyone was like so spot on in Knives Out and I feel like I feel like even if you can't name or place everyone you kind of get a feeling for like knowing who they are maybe not so much for the kid in that movie but also everyone like like, really plays up their part not in like a hammy like over over overacting way yeah but they all like perfectly nail the cartoonish comic element of each of their own characters. Yeah. The tone is just spot on. Which really helps to create like this fantastical, like comic book world that we're in. Mm. Which listen, I, I just want to talk. I, I can spend all of my time talking about each individual cast member. I mean, I, I like truly, truly. I think Michael Sarah is a great actor who doesn't get enough credit because like he, he hasn't been able in my opinion, he hasn't been able to break out the same way Jonah Hill has from like this child thing. I think I know why. I think Michael Sarah is great as Michael Sarah. <laughs> oh, oh, yes, 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 yes. I think yes. the reason he hasn't broken out, and this is no shade, but I think his range is a bit smaller than Jonah Hill's. Sure. No. Okay. So I'm not comparing him to Jonah Hill in terms of range because I do think Jonah Hill has tons of range. And I think Michael Sarah could have range. And maybe there's just something that we just haven't seen because of whatever reason. But, there are, and I won't name names because these are people that I actually like. I think there are tons of people out now that don't have any range and we still let them on. That's the only thing I'm defending. I'm just defending the okay, fact that Chris Evans. You know, actually, I think Chris Evans is kind of great. I, I watched this film and I'm like, Captain America? I completely forgot that he's in it. <laughs> like in the movie. Yeah. Yeah, amazing. He plays such he plays up that douchey character so well. So like he, So the, I, I've been talking about like this thing of I don't know who it was. It wasn't Chris Evans, but like this thing of like there's an era of celebrity that we have like that we've lived through where they're either where they were a part of like superhero world or they weren't and it seems like a lot of a lot of celebrities that we have now not a lot of them not all of them but like there's a good portion where have they not gone through the marvel machine specifically marvel not so much dc then we kind of wouldn't have whatever kind of star power they're holding right now. And Chris Evans is kind of one of them. Like Chris Hemsworth is one of them, right? Like if he wasn't Thor, would we care about Chris Hemsworth besides him being hot? Like what, what roles was he doing before that? Right. Like, um, which is interesting because this is technically a comic book movie. It is, it is, it is. You're absolutely right. And going into it this time around, I not skeptical might not be the right word, but I was a little hesitant because I was like, I've seen this movie before. I know what it is. Yeah. It's a fun comic book movie. Yeah. And I was like, is it going to be required? Like, will I have that much to say about it? But then I was like, literally 70% of the movies out right now or are coming out. Like the bulk of Hollywood movies now are comic book, superhero Marvel movies. Mm -hmm. So I was like, damn, that is what movies are now. Like it is what movies are it's now. It's not like a subgenre anymore. It's like the main thing. Right. 
and I think this movie and what Edgar, Edgar Wright does in general with his like like Edgar Wright was I think was making comic book movies before we could call them comic book movies. If you look at like the Cornetto tr- trilogy, if I told you that it was based off of some graphic novel, I'm sure you'd be like, "Yep, that, like that mm-hmm. tracks, right?" Of course, it wasn't. But to look at like this film is probably one of my favorite comic book movies. Like, no lie, I love my favorite thing about this movie is the fact that they add elements that are like straight up from the comic. Yeah. And things that clearly wouldn't happen in normal movies or even like in Marvel movies, like they really, they very much lean into the fact that this is a comic book. It has funny elements, but it has like, just like her roller skating everywhere in the snow. (laughs) Right. 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 It's that it's that kind of surrealism that we enjoy, right? Because because we we can be like Marvel, and I, I'm generalizing when I say Marvel here, but we can be like Marvel, anyone else, and make everything super and not acknowledge it. And and this movie does that as well. Like there's so there's so much going on that we're just not acknowledging, right? But then there is there are the things that there are the things that sorry, this guy's text message. There are the things about this movie that just get amplified for us as an audience to see, right? Even if the characters aren't seeing that, like, he, like, you know, Michael Sarah beats that first student. I was like, Oh, coins. And we all laugh because we all played this video game before, right? We all know what, it, what, what that means. And of course he's unfazed, but like just adding in those elements are a, tr- a trademark of, of like gaming and, and comic books. I don't know. I really, I just truly enjoyed it. And I think, I think without that, then I don't know what this movie is. Because like you said, just just to be clear about something that you said earlier about like the one-liners, I think the, this movie was put together in such a strategic way that I don't know how Edgar Wright does it. I think this, at this point in maybe his career, like in the point of this movie, the, like the one-liners, <laughs> the, the jokes, the visual elements of, of the games and the comic books, the casting, like handling this large class, it's... You have like you have to be a puppeteer, like a magician, to like kind of handle all of these different elements to have pulled it off in this package that is damn near perfect. And yes, I'm gushing about this movie because I don't think that this is an easy thing to do, uh, and I don't think there are many directors out there to have to, that could do something like this. Um, and again, just to mirror something that we had most recently, Knives Out. Knives Out. Ryan Johnson killed like killed this kind of thing. And that that was an actual mystery, right? Like, but to do this, and I, I haven't read Scott Pilgrim. I, I read actually, I read Scott Pilgrim after I saw the movie because I was like, if this is what comic books are, I'm getting right into it. Like, if this is what graphic novels are, I'm jumping heads first. But I didn't read it beforehand. But I can imagine that as someone who may have been a fan of this thing, they would have loved it. Do you think the story leans on those comic video game elements too much? That's like, a great question. The story itself, Scott Pilgrim sucks. <laughs> but I think, but I think, I think, I think it's, I think, okay. I think it leans on it. So us as an audience see it through his eyes. He's mm. got seven deadly, whatever. He's got the, the exes coming after him. He's just trying to get with the girl. We, we, we see and even like kind of acknowledge the fact that he did, well, he did both women wrong, right? There's a lot of, there's actually a lot of like, Anyways, I, there's a lot of things like that that I forgot, and I was like, <laughs> Canada, Canada. Hold on, we'll talk about that in just a second. But shit, I forgot what I was saying. Oh yeah, so I, I think I think when we get to the end, and he's like, 
and you know the world kind of comes crashing down on him and essentially everyone's like dude you're the one that's wrong mm-hmm. i think then it's put a bit of a gut punch to us as well because we, we've been rooting for this guy this entire time yeah. so now we're like go knives and like go like like we're, we're, we're like we're just all, kind of all over the place just as much as he is so does it rely on this element a lot maybe but i think with a purpose is my answer mm. i don't know what do you think I don't know because the best things I remember about this movie are like the visual elements, the one-liners, not so much the story or sure. I mean, definitely the some of the performances are really, really good. But the thing that holds us together is the jokes, right? Like the jokes yeah. and visual elements hold us together. Otherwise, it's I mean, in fact, I don't think that's a bad thing because I think I think this is all movies, right? Mm-hmm. Like the objective of this movie is Scott versus seven people, right? And how we get to the seven people in an hour and a half, two hours, or whatever long this movie is, is beyond. But essentially, we're going to have like we, we like kind of like a building. We have all these bricks. We have these things that we need to get to, but we need to be able to fill those cre- those like crevices to to get there. And we have great visual elements. We have great jokes, but I think what we're actually planting on to is the relationships. His relationship, like we're getting, we're very much getting to know Scott Pilgrim in what he's doing or not doing. The fact that he's still living with Kenan Culkin or <laughs> dating a 17 year old when he's 22 or like, like the way he, the way he cheats and can't, and can't get, like we're learning so much about him that strip everything else away and like i said at the end we're like yes he he's a douche and he needs to get his shit together and through this you know through these visual elements through this this the the visual nature of the film he gets there hmm. i don't know i feel Maybe like he's still annoying at the end. i feel like he's still annoying at the end <laughs> Oh, he's very it's he's very annoying at the end. He's very he's not a likable character. He like he's, no, but I think it's more than just not a likable character because I've right. there's plenty of movies we've watched where the no, main no, no, character no, sure. is like not at all likable. I think it's he doesn't really progress as a character, it's, yeah. but he's more or less in the same spot at the end. I would I I, I would not argue against that. I mean I, I would I would. I, <laughs> Yeah, I, I I have an argument against it, but mm. I see your point because it's I can't like he's very whiny. He's very whiny throughout, right? Like, what was me? I've done nothing wrong. A sad boy. He's a little sad boy, and and I I see why you think that. And I think again, we we get these in in total. However long this movie is, we get maybe three minutes of him going through like the self realization and then sudden change that doesn't exactly feel or like stack up against the other bits of the movie that we saw. Mm. So I, I get when you're like that he didn't really change. Like, well, it's one we don't get to see it, but two, what we just saw of his change was wrapped up in three minutes of action. Right. So it makes perfect sense. I'm with you. I'm mm. with you. Let's talk about the inappropriateness of this movie. I would just want to point out there were several Asian jokes, and I was like, "What?" Because yeah. I was like, "I'm not going to write this down, otherwise I'll get too upset about it." But what I actually think it was 2010. I actually think, I think, I think, saying this right now and enjoying the film, I think it wasn't anything like these kind of like racial, like tangentially racial jokes. Was it anything offensive? About it, it was 
I, I actually don't know how to explain it. It was said, but it wasn't said in an offensive way. I don't think they're problematic for sure. But I think, but I also think it kind of illustrated how problematic he was as a character. And I think it was, I think it was uh, Michael uh, Scott Pilgrim who was like saying these things. But it was like like these like, these quick quips. Oh gosh, that was my alarm going off. I think it was like these quick quick quips that was that were being said, and I was like, hold up, hold up, my guy, this is too much. Did you ever read the comic? I did, I did. Like when it came out, I, I yeah, I downloaded it. How true to the comic is this? I can't say I remember, from being honest. Oh, okay. Because it seems like, I've never read the comic. I've seen this movie like several times. But I feel like if you read the comic, this movie's like amazing. It seems. I would hope so, yeah. I hope so. I, 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 think, it, I think it did a lot of fan service in a way that like Marvel sometimes does, but no mm-hmm. one actually pays fan service to a thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, yeah. yeah, I think so. Also, yeah, he was 22 and she was 17. Just, again, I'll point out how inappropriate that was. Well, that's, I'm, I'm also curious if that's what it was in the comic or if they were just like, yeah, fuck it, 17. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I really don't know. The age of consent in Toronto, or excuse me, in Canada as a whole is 16. So theoretically, legally, Scott Pilgrim is doing nothing wrong. But a 17-year-old and a 22-year-old. Listen, Dan, maybe, maybe we're far too conservative on this issue and people think we're absolutely crazy. But I'm with you. I think it's weird. I'm also curious. Uh, maybe, the, maybe the comic took place in the U.S. And they were like, no, nah, I want to make her 17. How can we do that? Oh, let's shoot in Canada. Canada. <laughs> you sickos. No so I got to talk about the music in this film because the music was amazing. And that's really all I want to say about it is the music was amazing. And it really brought me back to like this punk rock age of mine where I was like, yeah, this is all me. Also, like, yeah, the songs in the Battle of the Bands are like, damn, these are pretty solid. Bad. As far as like, quote unquote, like fake movie songs go. Yeah. Pretty good. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I agree. Uh, Brie Larson, uh, well, I don't know what everyone's musical prowess is, but Brie Larson has albums out. Michael Sarah is in a band. That's all I, I, I know about the people in, in this film who actually play music. Alison Pill, by the way, so, so many people in this film are underrated, right? Like Anna Kendrick at the time of this film was not Anna Kendrick, right? Like we knew her, we kind of loved her, but like since this film, she's like blown up loads. It's been 10 years. Mm-hmm. But Brie, like Brie Larson is Miss Marvel or excuse me, Captain Marvel. And like who's doing huge things on like social media, make, on like YouTube and stuff like that, making herself completely accessible to other people, which I think is really interesting. I haven't watched it, but I know it exists. Yeah, a lot of superheroes. Chris Evans. Brandon Routh? Brandon Routh is Superman. I, by the way, I fell asleep during that movie. I really hated it. And I'm so happy he turned himself I around. walked out of one of them. <laughs> There's something about Jason, Jason Schwartzman in this film that I was like, if you don't get this fucking guy out of my face... I may explode. But then watching it again this time, I was like, okay, I, I think I, I think my nerves as a, you know, from ten, 10 years ago version of me, yeah. you know, has settled down now. Asshole. Because I was just he, thinking of him in Darjeeling Limited. Yeah. And he's like a shithead. Like he's, again, not a g- likable character, but you're like, damn, something about you is a little endearing. <laughs> Hold on. So I'm, I'm reading something now, and I think we should wrap up in a second, mainly because I'm just chattering away. But... It says Bill Hader is in this movie as the voice, and I don't know what that means. Do you? No. So apparently, no one else knew either. So there's a, th- a thing about it on. Oh, he's the narrator of the movie. Oh, 
I don't think I realized there was a narrator. I, me, me neither. Sure. Fun oh, fact. so it, said, it says he is voiced by Bill. The is voiced by Bill Hader and makes announcements such as the last time Scott had a haircut or when Scott earns the power of love. Those voiceovers. Oh, yeah, those. It was very weird. I mean, not very, but it was also just very short, so it didn't really matter. I think my favorite part of this movie is when they're actually playing music and the visuals are the ones fighting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the music becomes a actual thing. An extension like of them. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Perfect. So really good. loved it. Really loved it. I, I've got nothing else for this, my guy. I got nothing. I'm going to wrap this up by saying, did I pick this from? Did I pick two, two in a row? That's terrible of me. I'm sorry. Required. I, I think this is absolutely required. I think for all the things that I said before in terms of having to be a director and manage all of these things and write all of these things and making sure they're coming off in a way that is pleasant. I don't think this film is for everyone, but I do think there it, this reaches... Listen, I think every film has an audience, right? But this plays, I think this does a bit of justice for the comic book in a way that I remember. I think it does some justice for just breaking some sort of like the superhero rules that we're just known to have while including like this whole like gaming aspect of it all and allowing us, allowing us to see it. Honestly, just like the visual language. I think, I think, I think in all, uh, Edgar Wright has a way of letting us feel something different than a lot of other filmmakers allow us to feel. A superhero movie is not just a superhero movie when you give it to Edgar Wright. You know, a, a, a movie about, you know, z- zombie apocalypses is not a movie about zombie apocalypses when it's given to Edgar Wright. And I think, I think it starts from the head. And I think because he's writing and directing these things, I'm, I'm giving him a lot of credit. But I think, when it comes down to how all of these people played off each other and what they did with those words on the page, how this was edited, like as a whole, I think this is a bit of a, I don't want to say masterpiece, but I think it's a bit of a a show on how to get something that could go so terribly wrong into something that's so terribly right. You know what I mean? I'm going to say it's not required, (gasps) but it's recommended. If I think I feel like we've done that before on a few, yeah, of course. And I think only because it's a very niche movie, very. Where I think if you're into either this comic specifically or comics and video games in general, yeah, absolutely required. But I think as a whole, as just a movie, less so because I don't think it aged great. I think some of the story elements are a little lacking. Yeah. But as far as visuals and comic book references, video game references, the style of it. Yeah. Fantastic. And the performances in it under underrated. Yeah, for sure. But I think it is a very specific fan base that it's going after, which is totally fine. But I think as a whole, yeah, not not required. Recommended though. There we go. It's one of the few times that we disagree. But I, I think know, it doesn't have an awesome. I it We need to do this more often. <laughs> no, please, please don't. Listen, listen. I'll, I'll end it right here and say that is it. Uh, thanks so much for listening. Uh, share it with your peoples. I think. Share it with anyways, everyone. Anyways, listen, Dan. Until next time. Later, my guy. Peace.
Later.